I'm Katie Prejean McGrady, and this is Ave Explores. I remember the last Good Friday mass or celebration church service. I don't exactly know what we call it because it's the one day a year on Good Friday where mass is not said. The Eucharist, of course, is distributed, but but mass is not said itself, whatever the word is. I remember the last time I went to a Good Friday service. I was pregnant with my first daughter, Rose. This was in the spring of 2017. And I didn't want to go. I was pregnant and uncomfortable, and there'd been quite a bit of struggle and frustration lately in my professional life, which was seeping into frustration and struggle in my personal life, not to mention the fact that I was very pregnant and increasingly uncomfortable, and I had no intention of going. You know, three o'clock in the afternoon, that's nap time, as far as I'm concerned. But my younger sister jokingly kind of pestered me and said, well, you know, this will probably be the last one you get to go to for a long time. And I just kind of looked over at her and I was like, what? Why? And she said, well, Katie, you're about to have a baby. You're not going to bring, you know, a nine-month-old next year to Good Friday. Probably not going to bring a a year and a half-year-old the following year. And who knows? Hopefully you have more. Could be the last one for a while. Good old Catholic guilt kind of seeped into my head. She wasn't saying it in such a way that you're a bad Catholic if you don't go. But I I think it was a, a timely reminder from her that if you can go, you should. And so I went and uncomfortably sat there, had to sit down about halfway through the gospel because, again, pregnant. But I remember very distinctly the homily that year about suffering and about Good Friday being a day where we remember that when it is hard, it can also still be good. I think that's a really important point that I needed to hear at that precise moment. You know, just a a couple of months later, I would lose my job and find our world kind of turned upside down. And then we welcomed a daughter into that upside down world. My husband started a new job. We had to reorient ourselves completely to our new routines and schedules and a community that we were no longer a part of because of our job loss. And I, I would go back to that homily pretty frequently in my head. Just because it's hard doesn't mean it's not also good. When it is hard, in fact, when it is a struggle, when there is some sort of challenge, when suffering is facing us, maybe that's precisely when God can do something even greater in our lives. Now, that's not to say we go look for the suffering. It's not to say that we go find some sort of trouble and stir it up because we want to invite Jesus in just a little bit more. But it is to say that perhaps when that occurs, because it's a when, not an if, and hardship and suffering and challenge is in our lives, that there's a way that we can embrace it knowing that God will be there with us. As we enter into Holy Week, which is the most important handful of days in our church year, starting on Palm Sunday, where we remember Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem walking through Holy Thursday, institution of the Eucharist and the priesthood, Good Friday, remembering the cross, Holy Saturday, the saddest, emptiest, quietest day in the year, and finally arriving at Easter Sunday, this great rejoicing that the Lord has returned. And the movements of Holy Week, the beats of Holy Week, are all centered in 
suffering in some very real way. Imagine Jesus walking down the street, well, riding a donkey, down the streets of Jerusalem, these very same people celebrating his arrival and putting palms at his feet. The people who just a few days later would maybe doubt why he's not just pulling himself down off the cross or cheering maybe for his actual crucifixion. That moment where he was sitting at the Last Supper looking around, perhaps thinking, is there another way? Praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, literally sweating blood, hanging upon a cross, nails driven into his hand and his feet. You know, I often say that Holy Saturday is the saddest day of the year because it's the day that Mary was without her boy, but it's also the day where her boy was without his mom. And, and there's such a heaviness to it. There's such a weight to it. It's been a long Lent, hopefully a fruitful Lent, but there's a way that we can enter into Holy Week recognizing that this is not going to be some rah-rah, yeah, Lent is over party, but is an entrance even more intentionally perhaps into the suffering of the Lord and our own suffering magnified and then inviting the Lord into that. Sister Miriam James Heidland has become a very dear friend of mine over the years, we've worked together, we've traveled together, we've, I feel like, talked on a Zoom call every couple of months for the past few years since we first brought her on to Ave Explorers. She is such a gift in my life, and I know her voice and her encouragement has been a gift for so many others. And so we wanted to sit down with her for this conversation about suffering in Holy Week and embracing the suffering because it's an embrace of the Lord. This is one of our, our concluding episodes to our Ave Explorers Lenten season. We'll wrap it up next week with a conversation with Father Agostino Torres about Easter. So make sure you come back for that wonderful conversation. But for now, we're so excited that you're here and we want you to sit back and enjoy this conversation about embracing suffering in Holy Week with Sister Miriam James Heidland. Sister Miriam, it's great to see you again. Welcome back to Ave Explorers. Hi, Katie. Hello, friend. It's always good to chat with you. I feel like we talk pretty regularly yeah. in a variety of different ways. It's really a gift. How have you been? How was preparing for Lent? And, you know, how, how do you think your Lent has gone? Well, I I think Lent has been a very deep journey between the book that we're going to talk about today from Father John and then on the Biting Together podcast, we also delved into Dr. Bob Schutz's book, Be Transformed, about the healing power of the sacraments. And so, you know, like the great 12-step meetings say, it works if you work it. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, oh, it's working and that's what it's supposed to do. So, yeah. I've never heard that phrase before. It works if you work, work it. It what, works what if that? you work it. Yeah. If you go to a 12-step meeting at the end of, that's part of the big book. It's part of the promises. It works if you work it. So if you allow that message to work in your heart, it will work, but you have to be willing to let it work if, you know what I mean, there's a lot of working, but that's that's how it works, so. Yeah, you get out of it what you put into it, the phrase Pretty that we much. always use that, at Steubenville conferences. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. It's it's all true, so it's it's efficacious. It's like, you know, you let the Lord, the word of God, you know, plant, like divide, you know, like to cut away all the things in our hearts and souls. It does, it transforms us, so. Yeah, it's interesting you started that way because I was gonna say, like, I was gonna ask, a lot of times we go into Lent, we've had this conversation with all of our guests this season with this agenda, with this priority list of I'm going to do this, I'm going to fast in this way, I'm going to mm -hmm. pray in that particular way, I'm going to try to be generous in, in this other way. And usually we hit Palm Sunday mm -hmm. and two things usually hit my mind. The first is this is this is going to be the longest mass of the year so far. 
and I need to sit in a spot in the church where I can quickly escape with a two-year-old who has learned recently, go home, we go home. Like, and she'll say it louder and louder as mass progresses. So that's like my first thought walking into Palm Sunday. And then my second thought is usually, oh, okay, like it's almost over. Like I can have the coffee creamer. That's what I gave up this year, coffee creamer. I can have the coffee creamer again come Sunday. I can, I can breathe a little easier. Like we're relieved that it's over, but it's not. Like Palm Sunday is actually not the end and there's still quite a ways to go. How should we enter into Palm Sunday so we can work it so it works? <laughs> yeah, that's, I think you're honest. Your insights are very honest and all of us feel that way. Holy Week is the most special week of the entire year. And I think if we go into it with that mindset of I'm going to set aside this week to make it a week that's very important and very mm -hmm. sacred. And I think that's going to be really important for us of it is the week of all weeks. It is the week of the, the bridegroom. It is the week of the King of Kings. It's the suffering servant. It's everything we've been actually preparing for is now going to be consummated this week. And so I think if we could ask for that special grace to enter in more deeply and to keep going with the Lord, I think we'll find in the book on page 170, the collect for the mass talks about patient suffering. And mm -hmm. that's the key to all things, isn't it? Is the continual refinement. I just went to confession this morning and I was just like, the patient suffering and when we see all of our defects and all the places where we wish we were different and the places where we keep doing that same thing, that one thing that we're like, oh, geez, that it's like, it's so impoverished. It's like, I'm just so poor, Jesus. I need you. Like, thank God for all the ways I pretend that I'm humble and I'm not. And you're like, you know what? I love you. I'm just going to let you know that you need me in every way. I'm like, thank yeah. you so much. No. It's so funny because you hear a nun going to confession or you like think of a nun going to confession. What's that line? It's like being stoned to death with popcorn. Like there's this assumption that like, why would Sister Miriam need to go to confession? But like that's, yeah. all of us need that. Ref I love that word refinement and yes. like refiner's fire is an image that's come up for me a lot lately of, I, I have to be willing to let some of it be, be burned off. Amen, and I recall this dermatology appointment years ago and I had a mole like on the top mm. of my shoulder and they like numb the area and they, they, I don't even know what they did. They burned it off and it didn't hurt until like the, the numbing had gone away. Just yeah. like when you get a filling in your mouth, like you think, oh, this is fine. Like this is no big deal. And then the pain hits mm -hmm. and we try to dull it. We, we pop the Advil, we take the pain medicine when our, our wisdom teeth come out, but you still have to confront it at some point. Like eventually you have to not just numb that pain. Why do you think our world today has kind of convinced us to avoid that suffering and to avoid pain in general to where we run from the refiner's fire? We don't want to be patient in the suffering. Why, why does the world give us this other narrative of avoid, avoid? Gosh, that's a great question. I think that's, I think that's from the garden. Like that's the original rupture of communion of of the enemy's lies of somehow we can make a world that's our own or that mm. there could be something other than God or that he's holding out on us. And, you know, we look, so we look at the rupture from that communion is the entrance of suffering into the world and Christ. And this is a beautiful thing about this week is this is not just a nice story that we tell ourselves, but Christ, he takes on all the areas we want to numb, all the things we want to avoid, all the sin that's so ugly and the things we don't want to look at. Jesus, as the bridegroom, he takes all of that on. And even at the cross, he does not take the numbing agent. Like they offer him wine mixed with like a numbing or like a, and he says, no, it's like, oh, Jesus, he's so beautiful. And that that's always a temptation, isn't it? Like all of our coping, I was praying this morning about coping mechanisms versus healing remedies. And all of us have coping mechanisms that when 
trauma or our life is overwhelming or we want to numb. We don't want to feel, we don't want to sit in that place. Like St. Paul says, we were that through the fear of death, we've been a slave to death our whole life. And I'm like, Jesus, please, I I don't want to live in my coping mechanisms. I want to live in healing remedies. And part of that is a Paschal mystery. Like that is that that is the healing remedies, the Paschal mystery. So we're going to let Jesus take us into his life and we're going to let him take our life into his. And that's, that's the consummation, that's union. What do you think the most common coping mechanism is these days? Like in your ministry with people and you're working and healing, like what is it that seems to be kind of plaguing our society? Mm. Well, I think one of the easiest ones is distraction. And I think, I think denial, I think denial is one of our most common because it's, you know, like the 12 step, you know, like they said, you know, if admitting we have a problem. So I think denial or minimizing or the self-reliance of like, no, 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 it's okay. I'll just do it on my own. Like I'll just try harder versus like that crying of the agony, like Jesus, I need you here. And this is not okay. Or Lord, I see there's a part of my life I want to avoid, or there's conversations I don't want to have because I'm afraid of conflict and I'm afraid of being abandoned. So can mm-hmm. you, Lord, can you come into these places? And so I think distraction's easier now than it used to be for any society. And so we can kind of escape down that rabbit hole, but things in our life just never go away. And Father John I don't, doesn't mention it in this book, but in many times when Father John Burns speaks, he talks about how, you know, we want to, we want to pretend those things didn't happen and we want to bury them. But what happens is they, they end up being buried alive. And they come back later, like nothing just ever goes away. And so the Lord is giving us the healing remedy. So you and I don't have to bury things alive and run away and be afraid that we can enter more and more deeply into the truth who is Christ, because he's, he's everything. Mm-hmm. When we let, and I'm saying this as much to myself as I'm saying it to everybody, like when we let Jesus order our loves, then our love becomes beautiful. And that's, that's the Paschal mystery. It's the, it's the costly and the captivating love. The the people know I'm writing notes because that was just really good. Uh, <laughs> the, the long pause there. The whole time you're talking about burying something. That idea of burial is such a, it's such a distorted thing sometimes in our society. Because like a burial of, of a dead loved one in mm-hmm. a place and in a space where we can go and honor their life and we recall them. And we I'm, I'm thinking specifically of a, a young man in our diocese who passed away quite suddenly a few months ago and mm-hmm. and his his tomb is is I mean literally it is a tomb and it is a place where he is buried where his mm-hmm. friends are going to like to celebrate their birthday party so they can remember Philip and to like his mother goes and she's praying there and it's like this place of we miss him but it is a tomb that reminds us of his life and then there's the burial of like you said these things that should never have been buried we should have tried to figure out what they're doing in our lives so we can take care of them so we can excise them as we would need to so we can prune in the areas that we need. And then I feel like there's this third type of burial and I'm, I'm thinking out loud as I'm saying this, where like there's a mix of those two where we almost, we bury something before we're ready to like a, a seed that we, we repot the plant in new soil and it wasn't ready to be moved yet or we overwater something and we drown it out. Mm-hmm. I feel like Lent can kind of bring us into these three different areas of, of burial. What do you find every year when you approach Lent often ends up happening in your Lenten? Like, is there one area where you end up, you focus too much? Is there one area you try to avoid? When you get to Holy Week, is there a sense of, okay, it's almost over? Like how, I I don't even know what question I'm thinking of here. It'll come to me as you continue speaking wisely. (laughs) But what what do you often find happens in the burial processes of your Lenten experience? 
That's a great nuance that you have there, Katie. And I was thinking of Christ and the burial in the tomb, right? Yeah. The burial where he is dead. In his humanity and his human nature, he's dead. And his friends put him in a tomb and they go to visit his tomb. Like you're talking about your friend in the diocese and to go and pay him homage and to weep and to, there's a lamentation and a grief that's appropriate for that, which that's appropriate for the resurrection to happen. And I think for me, I always wrestle with the things that God asked me to give up. <laughs> it's like, I, oh, I tell you, girl, yeah. it can be the smallest thing. And it is, it is amazing how like a weekend you're like, ah, maybe I didn't really need to, you know, it's just so great. Like all the, all the little deals I want to make with myself. And, uh, and it's just funny how, yeah, just how little I am and like how poor I am there. I'm like, okay, Lord, clearly this is a place of poverty because I don't want to go through the Paschal mystery or I don't want to feel the ache or I don't want to go without or really. So I always wrestle every year with um, I suck at fasting. Can I just say that? Like, I, yeah, I just am not good at that. Father John and, said the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I really am not. And I'm like, I'm really bad at novenas too. And it's like, I, yeah, it's just funny because there's so many things in my life I'm consistent with, but like fasting, I'm just not good at. So it really mm -hmm. is. It's not easy for me at all. It isn't. And I just many times, the only thing that kind of allows me to walk through those things is like when I offer it up for somebody else. I'm like, I won't do it for myself because I don't want to do that right now. But for you, Girl, I would, other, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, so, yeah, but it's true. It's like, we're all people and all of us are growing. And so, yeah. It's almost like we have to tether that. We don't want to admit that we're weak mm -hmm. because in admitting that we need any sort of help, we're admitting, we think failure, like the world would even say that. that yeah. Like if you ask for help. So uh, this recently, my five-year-old every morning putting her jacket on needs help. It's like she's incapable of putting the second arm in. It's like it gets caught behind her and she yeah. can't quite reach and her hair is poofy because she's my kid. And she will instantly, mommy, I need help, like instant versus my 85 year old grandfather who I'll go over to his house and he has the exact same <laughs> issue. He cannot reach around. But if I even so much as like look at him while he tries to do it himself, I am injuring his pride. And it's like what happens between five and 85 that we ask for help readily and we refuse help when it's right there. And it's, it's this, I don't want to be perceived as weak. The five-year-old doesn't care if you think I'm weak because it means mommy's going to help me. The 85-year-old, no, like I'm your grandfather. Don't, like I can do this on my own. H how can we embrace that poverty is the word you, you've used and that weakness, not as a, okay, this means that I'm less than, but this means that I'm reliant on Christ and that's a good thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Dr. Bob Shoes talks a lot about ungodly self-reliance is like the root mm -hmm. of all of our sin where it's, you know, like Adam and Eve in the garden, you know, I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do this. And, and I, I think if we were really honest, I think we are, I know I see it myself. We look at our, our weaknesses and as places where unlovable or places where I'm going to be left alone or places where I'm not worthy. And so we, we fear our wounds. We fear our weaknesses as kind of disqualifiers of God's love. And, and just, like you, Katie, with your children, like their weakness is so beautiful. They're little, and of course they need help, you know. And and it would be it would be kind of silly for one of them to have the keys in the morning, and say, "I'm just going to drive us to school this morning." And be like, "Oh no, you're not," <laughs> you know. And and it's it's. But I think for us, and and we've also as adults, we've had experiences where our weakness it was terrifying for other people, and they didn't know what to do with it. And so we're like, "Oh, geez, that's not good." Or when maybe when we were little, our parents weren't able to regulate our autoimmune system. Like so, the, all kinds of things are happening where we receive these messages, but. I think that's the beautiful thing about Jesus as the one who was weak, right? He was a man of his sorrow, was acquainted with infirmity. And that was part of 
what blew people's mind. Like, you're the Messiah. Why are you being crucified? Like, this is, they couldn't put the two together. And Mm -hmm. so Jesus is teaching us something like Jesus is not afraid of his wounds. He's not afraid of his weakness. He's not afraid. So he's teaching us what it means to be human. And I I say that a lot, but it's, it's true. Like he's those areas of his humanity where he needed somebody to help him carry his cross, where he needed friends to stay awake with him one hour in the journey where Mm -hmm. Mary accompanied him to the cross. Those are not just nice things like that. Christ in his humanity needs, he has need and that's okay. So it's okay for us to have need where it doesn't make us like, we're afraid of like, oh my gosh, I'm needy, which is entirely appropriate to little children, right? Those little places. So I think it's allowing the Lord to to come into those places and hopefully people in our life that can love us that are not afraid of our weakness. And mm-hmm. then we don't have to be either. Well, and the need, I think it transforms. Like Christ, like my daughter knows, okay, mommy's here. Like mm-hmm. I, I don't just be like, figure it out yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are times where I've said to my kids, you have two legs, get up and go get it yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, like sometimes yeah, you have to teach them, you have to walk, you have to figure it out. But then there's also this, like Christ... How does St. Augustine put it? He mounts the cross, consummating this union in a way that like everything within us screams, don't do it. Stop. There has to be a different way. You almost sometimes feel sorry for for Judas, who I like, it's like, well, why would you do something like this? Like, this makes no sense. And and that's probably theologically incorrect to feel any sort of pity for him. But mm. like there, it, it, it is a contradiction, right? Like it is a, the world says one thing, our Christian faith says this other, and here's Christ who does it the way that we, and yet we still kind of fight against it. And then there's something transformed in that embrace of the cross. There's new life. I mean, Holy Week is a story of, of that patient suffering and that story of embrace of the cross, knowing we're going to arrive at Easter Sunday. How do you think people can best enter into the mystery of, is Holy Week's weird. We get Palm Sunday, we read the Passion, we get Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we're like, we're still in Lent, but nothing's really extra. Like we're just we're just wrapping it up, and then we enter into Holy Thursday, the the institution of the the priesthood, and, and we get the Mass. Good Friday, the the saddest day in the world, and then Holy Saturday, the quietest day in the world, building up to Easter Sunday. What can we do to really embrace that neediness of Christ on the cross in our own lives in a special way during Holy Week? Mm-hmm. I I think one of the things we can do is we can ask Jesus for the grace to let Him love us. Like, Jesus, let me, you know, give me the grace to let you love me here. Like, love me here and teach me, yeah, Lord, teach me what it means to be human. Teach me what it means to love. And I think one of the ways we can is, you know, trying to go to the, all the liturgies that we can go and just mm. just being there, being present. And they are, some of them are uncomfortably long and, and all these, but they're so rich in the beauty and the and what they give to us in the Easter Vigil and the Good Friday service, the Passion, you know, so I think participating on all the church has to offer us is that one of the, I mean, the best way to enter in to allow these things to wash over us and to renew us. And Michelle Benzinger, who is a, one of the co-hosts on the Abiding Together podcast, she tells a story very publicly that, you know, some time ago, just, you know, she's going through her own healing journey, just like every other woman mm-hmm. does. And and she, you know, just came into an, an, another area of her own brokenness and she went to her husband and, you know, her husband, they've been married 20 years and he's a, such a wonderful man. and. You know, she went to him and she said, I um, I know I have issues. I know that. And I'm sorry. Like, I know that I hurt you. And he, oh gosh, he, he looked at her and he took his, her hands in his hands and he said, Michelle, the day you and I got married, your issues became our issues. Mm. You're not alone here. Like, 
whatever you're facing, you and I are going to make it through together. We're going to be in it together. And I think that's Christ, the bridegroom. Mm -hmm. Like he takes on everything in our life. It's not like, oh, get yourself together. And when you're clean enough, come back to me. He's like, no, no, no. My life is yours and yours is mine. And this is why we find the, the icon of marriage so captivating is because it's a symbol of heaven when Christ is our all in all. And so, oh, Jesus. And a lot of us are like, all of us have those places where we're like, no, 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 like, like St. Peter, like, no, Lord, don't, you're not going to wash my feet. Like, you're not going to do that. And Jesus is like, you're, you are mine and I am yours. And that's the language of covenant. I am yours and you are mine forever. So this is something so much more than just a routine thing we do. Like, this is, this is heaven. This is life. Mm -hmm. I, I used to tell my students that a covenant is not 50-50. It's 100-100. Amen. Um, because if it's just 50-50, then, then you're, it's like you're holding something back. And I think mm -hmm. we do that with Jesus a lot. We, yes. hold, we hold the muddiness back. We hold the grit and the grime back. I recently went to Lourdes with my husband. Mm -hmm. And it was empty. The town is empty in January. So that's when you should go, everybody. Mm -hmm. And normally the grotto is blocked off. They have like a, a you know, because mass is going on every hour on the hour. But it wasn't because it's January and it's 20 degrees outside. So we were able to just walk up and like literally just like put our hands mm -hmm. against the wall where this water pours down for the first mm -hmm. time ever. And it's freezing and it's cold. And I just had this moment where I was like, I have to save the dirt because like you touch it and there's like muddiness on the wall, but also there's this cleansing water that's there. And I, I took, this is my husband, he had a like a white shirt on. And so I just pulled his coat sleeve up and I wiped my hand on. He's like, what are you doing? I was like, we're going to cut that out. <laughs> and this is now going to be our, our dirt and water from Lourdes. Mm. And, and like there was no, he didn't even hesitate. He was like, okay. Like that when you're sharing the story of Michelle and, and Chris, it's just like, yeah, like that's, it's, it's ours now. This this muddiness and this cleansing water, this, mm -hmm. this gift of union that Christ wants to give to us. You're a religious sister who's literally married to Jesus. That is your vocation. How do you contemplate that, that mystical reality in your own life? Mm -hmm. Well, Christ is my bridegroom. He is the center of my life. And that is the, the truth of this religious, being a religious sister. That's the core of everything. And everything else flows from that. And so for me, that was what captivated me. That was my desire my whole life. And it is the thing that has kept me here all these years mm -hmm. later of, you know, it's the song of songs. It's, it's the promise. It's the wedding at the beginning of Genesis and at the end of Revelation. It's everything. And so that is my daily prayer in my life of going to my bridegroom and talking to him and asking him to open my heart and receiving him and repenting and, and sharing joys and sorrows. Like that, that's the life, that's the life. And I, you know, one of the reasons why we find religious sisters so captivating, even if we can't articulate it is because they're an eschatological sign of heaven. Mm -hmm. So there'll, there'll never be a replacement for the religious sister because she literally is the face of the bride. And that's the profound importance of the revelation of who she is and of what all of us will live. So we live in a very small way now, what all of us will live in heaven. And so mm -hmm. it's stunningly beautiful. I, this is just a random question. As you're talking about that, I know we have a lot of listeners who probably have kids that are discerning. Maybe we have some yeah. discerners among our group, mm -hmm. but that's a that's a radical reality that the world does not understand. And mm -hmm. if somebody is discerning that, if a young woman is contemplating that or, or knows somebody that is, what what is your, especially in Holy Week, how can someone more deeply enter into that discernment? Random question, but Father John sure. talks to religious communities all the time. So I feel yeah. like maybe this is this is relevant uh, oh, to it the, is. the greater topic. It is very relevant. I the best thing we can do is stay close to Jesus and just ask the Lord to show you like, Jesus, how are you calling me to love? 
Because ultimately, John Paul II says the question that humans ask themselves is not, will I love, but how will I give the gift of myself and love? Mm. So, you know, a celibacy, the the calling to belong to Jesus exclusively is a gift that comes from him. And that if if for a man or a woman, whether they're a priest or religious sister who has that gift, it's put into you within your conception in your mother's womb. Like, so we know that Jeremiah is from, you know, from the womb in Isaiah. So that means I have a charisma of belonging. And so that's our religious vocation is not a reward for good behavior. It cannot be given nor revoked like in time. And so we we discover it in time, but it is given to us at the moment of our conception, which means our hearts are made differently. So so I think we're as we're searching our hearts for a gift. Now, am I worthy enough? Nobody's worthy mm-hmm. enough. It's like, Jesus, are you calling me to belong exclusively to you? And if so, show me how to give the gift of myself. And so a strong prayer life, uh, good friends on the journey. I know that Father John has begun our new website called renewreligious.org, which has a lot of videos on how to discern in different religious communities. But, oh, if that is how Jesus is calling you, if he's calling you to become a priest or religious sister, it is the best gift that you can ever make with your life and you receive him in return and you receive a hundredfold. It's like everything else in life, it's costly and captivating, right? Every love, mm-hmm. like your love with Tommy, like your love with your children, it's costly and captivating and it is so worth it. Oh, I say, come and see. You come and see. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I have that underlined in the book, right? This costly, it, there's a cost, but it's it's worth it. You pay for that delicious meal. You get to eat that food. You buy that house. Yeah. Like you live in that house. You you give the Lord this gift. He provides in that in that giftedness sister we could keep going but they told me i have to keep these short (laughs) our main question that we've asked all of our guests as we've entered into this lenten process and now of course as we're wrapping up this lenten process is what what's your hope for people this lent as they've they've done what father john has really led us to this returning to the lord what's your hope as people have prayed through this book and as they enter into this into this holy week my hope is that all of us grow in intimacy with jesus I hope that even if it's in one small way that we've allowed our hearts to receive him more deeply and given ourselves to him more deeply, even if it's very small, that we're not the same people that we were on Ash Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Even in a small way, we we not just know about him more, but we know him more. And that that is time well spent. And that's that's the spiritual life of growing in oneness with the one we love and who loves us. Sister, thank you. Where can we follow you? Thank you, friend. And uh, check out our website, solt.net, if you want to check out my religious community. And I am on Twitter at One Groovy Nun and on AbidingTogetherPodcast.com as well. So, Thank you so much, sister. Thank you, friend. I'm always uh, so struck by just the simple way that Sister Miriam can lay out such sometimes complicated ideas. And really this approach to suffering is going to come. And so if it is, here's an opportunity to deeply contemplate Jesus's suffering and my suffering and how those two things are not separated from one another if I choose to lean into the Lord in those moments of hardship. I was reflecting the other day, I was on a flight from Miami back to Dallas, and then of course Dallas to Lake Charles, and I'm sitting in my seat and I'm watching some silly rom-com movie just to kind of pass the time, drinking a Diet Coke. And I thought to myself, you know, it's been a good Lent. It's been a long Lent. I've traveled quite a bit this Lent. I've been a lot of places. I haven't been able to do some of the Lenten practices like daily mass or a weekly holy hour like I really wanted to, but I have 
in intentional ways fasted and I've prayed and I've been more generous in particular areas. And I think a lot of it has been because of this podcast that we've been able to do. I I feel like I entered into Lent a little bit earlier than everyone else because we were doing all these interviews ahead of time. But then listening to them week after week, and I never do that, but I listened to the interviews, I listened to the episodes this season because I wanted to gather something myself from these conversations long after the fact and really try to lean into Lent with you. There there kind of became this this common theme that I, I noticed all of our guests have shared. And if you didn't notice this, go back and listen to the episodes more closely because I think you'll see it, that when we return to the Lord, a change begins to occur. Things that we've removed from our life, we decide I'm not going to put them back into my life. Habits that we've formed, especially when it comes to prayer, we recognize the great value of those prayer efforts and, and we decide this is going to continue to be a part of my life. Those moments where we've perhaps stumbled and fallen and struggled and questioned and doubted, we've realized that Lent is not just this linear, I I arrive at the finish line and I say, yeah, I won Lent, that there's no winning of Lent, that there's an experiencing of it and embracing of it, and there's something quite beautiful in that. And all of these conversations in our Ave Explorers series, they're going to live here on this podcast app. We'll never take them down. You can go back and listen to last year's Lenten conversations. Just scroll down a little bit in the podcast feed and there they'll be. And so even though we have entered into Holy Week and are quickly approaching Easter, there's still a little bit of embrace of the suffering that we can still do, a leaning into the fasting and the praying and the almsgiving. Maybe this is the perfect opportunity for you to dive a little bit deeper into Father John Burns' book, Return, to go listen to some of these episodes, to watch the videos that go along with this book, to really contemplate what's been said over the past few weeks about the change that occurs in our hearts when we return to the Lord and the great beauty of that. You can find everything at our website, AveMariaPress.com. Follow this show wherever you listen to your podcasts. We'll be back next week to wrap up this season of Lent with a conversation about Easter with one of my dearest friends, Father Agostino Torres. So I hope you come back for that episode. And then we'll be off for just a couple of weeks before we're back with a brand new season, our final season of the of this kind of school year, all about the Eucharist and Eucharistic revival. So to not miss any of that amazing content, make sure you sign up for our emails, make sure you follow the podcast, find everything you need to know about this project of ours over at AveMariaPress.com. We'll be back next week to celebrate Easter. Know that we're praying for you this Holy Week, and we're so grateful you joined us today. is part of the Spoke Street Network. For more great podcasts, visit Spokestreet.com.